If you would take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. There's a story about a middle-aged businessman. He was suffering from severe anxiety and worry. So he went to his doctor. The doctor said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take up the game of golf, and I want you to start playing to learn to relax. Well, that's an oxymoron in itself. Well, the guy said, oh, no, man, I've been playing golf for years. Man, it just puts me in knots. I mean, it gives me more frustration and anxiety than I could ever deal with. It's just awful. It makes me more, it makes it worse. He goes, well, I got a different way that I want you to go play golf. The doctor said, what I want you to do is kind of unusual, but I want you to go out and play golf with an imaginary ball. Just imagine that the ball is, when you hit it, stand over it. Imagine there's a ball there, and wherever you want it to go, that's where it's going to go. Well, he said, okay, it's kind of unique and weird, but I'll do it if it will help me relax. So he goes and he gets up to the first tee and he imagines 250 yards down the middle. So he's got this imaginary ball there. He takes a swing and he watches it. Wow, 250 yards down the middle. So he walks up to it. He's got an eight iron, hits it 140. He goes, wow, it's on the green. So he goes up and imagine and he two putts. He walks away with this beautiful par. And he goes, wow, okay, this is good. So he goes a couple more holes and he keeps doing this same thing. And he just, man, this is relaxing. This is great. Well, another golfer comes up to him and goes, what in the world are you doing? He goes, well, my doctor, he, he assigned me. He says, go play golf, but just play with an imaginary ball. He goes, really? He goes, yeah. He says he wants me to relax. He goes, oh, man, golf. It's killed me, too, for years. You know, I just the more I play, the more frustrated I get. He says, well, would you mind if I joined you? Could I pull an imaginary ball out and play, too? He goes, yeah, sure. So these guys, you know, the next 15, 16 holes, they're playing together, you know, and every shot is perfect, and they're going down the middle, and and it's funny because they're really relaxing. They're connecting together as only guys can do on the golf course. And they're looking around. They're going, wow, look how beautiful it is. And, oh, wow, this majestic course. Look how relaxed we are. And they get to the 18th fairway. And they're both in the middle. And they go, one of them realized, man, we're tied. <laughs> and he's thinking. So the one guy gets up and he, and he hits his ball. And it goes right to the green. He goes, look at that. It's on the green. It's going toward the pits in the hole. <laughs> and the guy looks at him and he goes, uh, you just hit my ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't, it, isn't it amazing how competition can quickly kick in? We live in this competitive, complex life, don't we? All these things are going on around us. I don't know about you, but there's a great measure of anxiety. I don't think there's a week that goes by now that somebody, a creeksider, or even somebody outside that I may connect with, doesn't talk about the anxiety or the stress that maybe they're, they're, they're sensing or feeling in their private life, their personal life, or just because of everything going on around us. I mean, just look at the last few months, what's taken place in our state. Look at the last few months, what's taken place in our nation. Look at the last few months and what is taking place around the world. And we are, no kidding, it's an anxious and kind of worrisome time. And now we're in the first week of November, and guess what? The holidays are here. Yeah, who? Does that stress anybody out? Well, let me tell you what's going on at the Riley House. This won't surprise some of you. But uh, we ordered a new Christmas tree this year because our other one was, yeah, I know, yeah, whoo. So it's a flocked one, it's a fake one because I can't handle the sense of the real one. But so it's, a, it's, a, it's flocked, it's got these white, uh, white lights and we said we're going to do a little Irish theme this year with, so it's a lot of green. Well, it came about two weeks ago in a box. We would ordered it online and it came in and Trina and I are looking at each other. We go, okay, what are we going to do here? Do we want to take it up and put it in the, no! So we set it up. So it's all decorated, it's in the house, and, um, and this is what's going to really either tick you off or go, you are crazy, but we have a, a third of our presents already wrapped and under the tree. Yeah, I know. That's why they call me Captain Christmas, because I, uh, I love it, but here's the deal. We kind of said, you know what, let's take some of the stress and anxiety out of this season, because it's going to be a busy one. So we kind of prepared that way. But you know what? You've got the holidays coming up. I'm sure that there's nobody in this room that has their Christmas tree up yet. Are you? If you do, I'll give you $10. <laughs> and don't lie. See, nobody does. It's, it's craziness. But you know what? The, the, we just look at the world. We look at life. The holidays are coming. And I want us to approach them a little differently. And I want us to, 
uh, to, to come to God's word and learn and be reminded of some things. I'm not going to say a lot of things new today, but these are things that I've been working through and had to remember in my life in the recent season. See, Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 21, verse 26. He said one of the characteristics of the last day people would be this, that there would be this, uh, that there'd be this fear. Hearts would fail. Lives would fall because of this fear. He said men will faint from terror and, and, and the apprehensiveness of what is coming to this world. I find that interesting. If there's ever a day where there's been fear and, and just all this anxiety in our culture, I mean, we're in it. You, you know this, the number one killer of Americans today is still heart disease. One of the top five triggers uh, that they believe in heart disease is stress, worry, and anxiety that adds to the process. We are attention-ridden people, and here's the truth. We don't cope very well. Studies suggest that a high percentage or a strong percentage of diseases that we even experience today are also related to and tied to stress because we understand that stress is this long-term uh, accumulation of things, and it really gets layered in our lives. And I still haven't told the full story, but uh, there was a number, uh, it was four or five years ago, uh, where I had just had this onslaught of funerals and tragedy and stuff going on. And, and what I realized, that, that um, I, I, it, it just accumulated in my life. And, it, and there was some significant soul damage that I had to work through in the process. And here's the deal. A lot of us, we just think, you know what? We kind of snicker, ah, it's no big deal. We just fight through it. But at some point, it will begin to manifest itself. Here's what Jesus said. John chapter 14, 1 is your memory verse for this week. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Read that first stanza with me. Your heart must not be troubled. Let's do it again, full voice. Your heart must not be troubled. See, that's what God wants us, that's what Jesus says. You know what, I don't want your heart to be troubled. It's important to find a way to develop a calm heart, I believe, in chaotic times. And I want to read what Jesus says about it in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick it up at verse 25. He says this, therefore, he's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He's talked about how to pray. He's talking about the model of prayer. He's talked about how to fast. And now he's talked about God and possessions and how we're to relate to possessions in terms of a temporal people with an eternal perspective. And then he comes into this point, smack dab in the middle, after talking about these, he says, I want to talk to you about anxiety and worries. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. <laughs> what will you eat or what you will drink? Or about your body? What you will wear isn't life more than food in the body and more than clothing? Verse 26, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Isn't that interesting how Jesus makes that change? He says, your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he makes this wonderful, precious statement. Aren't you worth more than they? Think about that. You, you, you every one of us in this room, you are worth more than they are, yet he takes care of them. Verse 27 says, can any of you add one more moment to his lifespan by worrying? Boy, don't you wish you could? <laughs> Some of us, we live to be, you know, Methuselah. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? Oh, you of little faith. He brings us back to this idea of faith and trust. So, don't worry. Don't worry and say, what will we eat? What will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, when he talks about the Gentiles, he's talking about any of those people who are outside the faith, out of the covenant faith of the Jewish people that Jesus is writing to at this time. 
for the Gentiles. You know what? They seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. They're going after them. They're pursuing them, but God knows you need them. Don't worry. They have to pursue it because they don't have a trust in God that God will provide for them. But you, you know. You know your heavenly Father. So here's the, one of the antidotes. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, because of what we just said. Because of what is just Jesus has just said. Therefore, because of this, friends, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, even back then they had to deal with anxieties and worry. But it's important to find a way to develop a calm heart in chaotic times. And I have to tell you, because of some of the intensity of my personal life and, and my ministry life, i got to do the same thing. I know some people say, well, you know, church life, it's got to be really cool. It's got to be wonderful. You know, you come around probably 40 hours a week, you sing Kumbaya, and then, you know, you come and you do your thing. It's, it's really not like that. There's a lot of intensity, a lot of high-octane things that take place. And it's easy to smile about things and just blow through it and think that you can get through it. But there is this layers to our soul if we don't learn to cope and to take care of ourselves in the midst of stress and anxiety and, and all of these things that takes place. It can affect us physically and emotionally. Jesus teaches here on the Sermon on the Mount that we want to create a calm heart in our chaotic lives and chaotic times. Maybe worry doesn't really affect you. There are some personalities that, ah, whatever, queso, rasa, whatever will be, will be. But for most of us, we come into seasons like this. The word worry, worry here in Matthew chapter 6 is a great word. It just means to strangle. Have you ever felt that? Like worry just, I mean, you just feel like it puts kind of a, kind of just grabs you by the throat and just starts strangling you. That's the idea of it. You all choked up, getting knots. That's how worry, that's how being anxious, some of your translations say anxious. That's how it begins to affect us. Even Jesus said a few chapters later in Matthew uh, chapter 13, he talks about the soils and he tells this story of the, of the sower that sows seed and he uses these four examples of different ground. And the third example that he uses is that all of a sudden the seed goes out, which is God's word, and it begins to produce fruit. And then all of a sudden, because it isn't tended and taken care of, it says literally that all of a sudden these thistles and these thorns and these weeds begin to encapsulate it and chokes the life out of it. That's the, almost the very picture that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 6, where our worries just they put a stranglehold on us and we just feel like we can't breathe. Maybe some of you don't deal with that, but some of us do. If it doesn't choke you completely and spiritually, it can sure affect your quality of life, can it? It can affect your life expectancy. It can affect your testimony with others. And frankly, it can kind of make you a bear to live with if you don't deal with it. Don't say amen. <laughs> Here's a question. Is there more anxiety today than there was in the past? I, I kind of think so in some ways. Even though we see 2,000 years ago, Jesus was still talking about it. I think there's some things that we face today. There's the affluence of our age. And hear me. I love everything I've got. I mean, when I say love it, I don't like, oh, love it. I just, I love where we are. I love my home. I love my golf clubs. You know, I love my golf balls. I love my furniture. I love my car. I love my wife. I, yeah. And uh, I love all of those things. <laughs> Well, what I was going to do, I was going to say something else because I put her down the list at five or six, and uh, she's numero up there, you know. And, um, uh, but, but I love all that stuff, so don't think I'm making a statement here about what we've been blessed with. But here's the deal. We deal with affluence. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says this, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he gets little or much. Oh, isn't it nice when you come home, you've worked hard, and you just get a nice little nap or a full night's sleep. But then the wisest man, Solomon, says, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Now, wouldn't you think that the more you have, the more secure you would be and the better you would rest? But it seems like for a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people, the more they have, the more difficult it becomes. In 1997, there was a PBS documentary, and they, they used this term that really began to get traction at the time called affluenza. 
uh, had to do with the kind of a combination of affluence and and uh, 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 affluence and influence and um, uh, kind of a, a disease type of thing coming together in terms of, of two words. But it gained traction. They believed the word was originally coined in 1957, probably, you know, when we were beginning to step into the precipice of, of really people becoming more well-off and able to do more things because of resources and finances. The definition is this. It's the negative psychological or behavior of behavioral effects that come from having or pursuing wealth that can lead one to irresponsible acts, feelings of self-doubt or guilt. What causes doubt? Well, because if you, if you have a lot of resources, sometimes you can doubt. Am I going to have it tomorrow? Is it going to be here next year? What am I going to Am I going to be able to retire? Am I going to have enough? And so your whole life begins to be filled with doubt. What's going to happen? Or maybe it's guilt because you have, you have resources. Oh, I should be given more, but I don't want to because, well, you know, and then that causes more guilt. And it becomes all of these things that begin to happen. So this, this term, affluenza, became, gained traction really in 1997. But here's the truth of it. Uh, the more we possess, the more we have to ensure, protect, preserve, and guard. Have you ever noticed that? Much of our worry can subtly get focused on these areas of protecting all of these things that we have. Story of a guy who, there was a, he just bought a Mercedes Benz, and I mean, he got the top of the line, the best one, and I mean, it was beautiful, and he had a special paint job, and everything was good, perfect on it. And it wasn't too much after, uh, too long after the time that he bought it in his in his town. All of a sudden, he had this hailstorm, and this hailstorm began to drop down a hail the size of like little marbles. Everyone begins to scurry to get out of it. What does he do? He goes and throws himself on his new bends. And he says, I'm going to protect it. And in the process, he gets pelted. And sometimes that's exactly what happens to us. We spend so much focus on those things that we have that we have to protect. So our affluence can begin to add stress and, and worries to our life. How about media and social media? Something else that increases worry is the media, the hype and all the negative emphasis. You ever notice that? I mean, you go. What do they do? They, what do they do at, say, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, maybe even 7 o'clock at night? You're watching TV, and they give you this thing called a tease. Stay tuned. We caught this guy doing this or that gal doing that. Be aware in your neighbor. I mean, they give you this big tease, and 90% of the time it's negative. Why? Oh, i got to find out. Is that here? Is it there? Where is it? What's going on? And so, boy, 11 o'clock, click, click, we got it. Fox News or whatever it is. KATU, we're there. What would you think, would it be, and then you get on there, it's not quite as big or as tragic or as important as it seems, but wouldn't it be nice if sometime on an evening the tease went like this? Hey, you know something, really nothing bad happened today. It wasn't a bad day. It was all, everything's pretty good. So here's what we're going to do. Tonight at the 11 o'clock news, we're just going to run nothing but good stories. But if you don't want to watch a bunch of good stories, please relax and go to bed early. You know? And imagine how that would change how we go to bed. How we, how we respond, you know? We don't, wake, we don't go to bed with all this negativity, and we wake up with something positive. But I think media affects this, doesn't it? I mean, President Trump just left yesterday. He's over in... Uh, you know, in, in Asian countries, and he's talking about meeting with Putin, so that's, that's a big story. We understand, we hear, we see pictures of it. We see the, the, the possibilities of a nuclear threat with North Korea, that it seems it becomes more imminent every day that we go along and we hear about the tension is building from the Twitters of our president. There's instant video of tragic events. People take video. And they get on TV or they get online. And before it's almost news, we have access to these incredibly tragic things. Does that affect you? Like I said, people wonder, oh boy, is that, what, what's going to happen here? People become fearful and anxious and worried to go and to be or to do anything. And then social media adds to so much. With adults. I mean, you read stuff. You know, my dad, he was, a, you know, he was into politics. I told you this before, but, man, he would just go off on this political stuff. I'm glad, there's, I'm glad he wasn't around social media because he probably would have been in trouble. 
But he starts talking to people. Man, he just get intense and fired up and scream and yell if you didn't believe what he believed. And some of us do that on, 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 on Facebook or other places. Exclamation points, bold letters. And you carry on these arguments and these disagreements or, you or people get attacked. And you wonder why there's so much stress and anxiety. Teenagers. You know, teenagers, you know, when I was growing up, I could barely afford a pay phone, let alone have a phone all the time. You know, if you're a teenager, don't hate me. But I was reading in Newsweek this last week. It's an article. It might be good for some of the parents to read it. Look it up. It says this, we need to talk about kids and smartphones. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to give you a flyby. It's like five pages. There's no true empirical evidence to totally connect this yet. One of the psychologists basically said that our kids right now for the last five years and moving forward are basically, um, they're, they're, they're an experiment with social media, iPhones, Facebook, all of that stuff that they're basically an experiment taking place because we don't have enough empirical evidence to see how it affects them. But here's what a couple of psychologists were leaning into. They were saying that since 2010 to 2016 that they have noticed an exponential increase in depression, significant depressive events in teenagers. Teenage suicide has escalated. Hear me, I'm not an alarmist, okay? I'm a realist. So I'm not trying to alarm anybody. But they're saying that in these last six years, they've seen these rise, and they can't tie it really yet to anything else. We all have heard about how you've probably seen some of your kids. Things are said about them on social media. They read something on social media. They hear friends going somewhere on social media they weren't invited to. There's bullies on social media. There's friends on social media that take on one friend, and it's kind of like a, kind of like a, you know, a, a rodeo. They just kind of outsize them, move them out. We're all aware of those things, and they're saying that this is having an incredible effect on the psyche and the emotional makeup of teenagers. And we wonder why sometimes our kids are so stressed. Sometimes they're so worried. How about our lifestyle? I love and I'm so thankful for where I live. But our advanced travel, improving technology, our expectations have totally changed our daily lives, haven't they? We're the most hurried, hassled, and hectic people probably who have ever lived. Don't you just wonder sometimes if God really designed our nervous system and our physical being to move at the pace that we move at and, and, and face the extra pressures that we face and we put on ourselves? Do you, you ever wonder that? I'm telling you, I got to tell you, I, I thought by the time I was this age, man, things would be kind of, you know, we'd be coming in full flaps for a nice little landing. And I find that, you know, it's more intense now. That there's higher octane coming out of my life than when I was 40. And don't feel sorry for me, but here's the, you know, this, uh, I'm not saying this for any other reason, just, but it's been a busy season with changes and we're speaking more regularly on Sunday. I'm not taking as much time off except on vacation, but um, I'm working on some ministries and reorging some ministries and working with leaders to do that. I'm getting ready for our seasonal plans and moving into the next year. A couple weeks ago, uh, I went to a missions board meeting. We spent a week in the thriving metropolis of Des Moines. I come back and I uh, come and fly into Oakland and it's late at night. I've been gone for a while and I'm thinking, man, I got to go get my car. Where did I park it? Was that F8, G10? You know, I couldn't remember. I start to go look for it and I remember, oh, that's right, Trina's coming to get me. I don't, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I don't have my car here. And it's, you know, and, and, and all of that. And so she was picking me up. I met two days last week with a potential staff member that we're um, meeting with. And then um, I had to zip out. I went up to Portland uh, over my life, over my ministry life. I really haven't spent a lot of time in Oregon connecting with my family, to my shame. But a lot of time it's because of the responsibility factor here, and I stay. And so I said, I'm going to surprise my brother. He's 43, and uh, it's his first marriage. And so I said, you know what? He's a worship leader at a church up there. And so I said, I want to surprise him, and I was able to surprise him. So Trey and I flew up a 36-hour turnaround 
up to Portland, and it's kind of cool. They had, he's a worship leader, so they had this like two-hour service. It was framed with worship for an hour, then they had this 30-minute uh, ceremony that was sweet and wonderful, and then another 30 minutes of worship. And I think we kind of made our moms upset uh, because we went up there. I didn't have any time to get together with them and um, had to get ready for Sunday and then this thing and then fly out yesterday. Um, just busy times. And, and so that adds a little stress when the moms are kind of letting you know that they want to do something, uh, but you can't. Uh, last week we had trunk or treat. I'm trying to get to a lot of our student sports events because there we've got some incredible students here that are in sports. And so I left trunk or treat just a little bit early to get over Alhambra to watch Gabby Chase kill the ball and Alhambra kill a team in volleyball. They're just incredible. And so I've got all this stuff going on. And I just finally said, oh, I'm not going to get a break. So I go, I, go, I go to my office and I go, I got a book in there. It's called How to, uh, How to, How to Relax and Not Feel Guilty by Tim Hansel. So I take it off the shelf, and I get ready to read it, and I go, I can't read this book. I have to have two large books done by this coming Tuesday. So, so I just said, forget it, and, and I did. You know, don't feel sorry for me, because I love what I do. I get energized by good activity. I really do. But here's the deal. See, most of you in here do the same thing I do. It's just bang, 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 do this. I got this with my kids. I got work. I got this and that in school and the other. Here's what I got to remember. How do we ever have time to slow down and to connect and to hear from God? Because we get so busy. And then we allow stress and worries and anxiety to come in and crowd out. And in this section, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount he says, I want you to learn how to live as a kingdom person. And he says three times, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Some of your translations, do it, be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. Don't allow life, don't allow circumstances and people to put a stranglehold on you. Now understand, hear me, it's really important. There's a big difference between being concerned and being anxious or worrisome. See, concern focuses on probable difficulties and produces action. Anxiety and worry focuses oftentimes on the improbable, and it will lead us to inaction. It will lead us to a sense of paralysis from analysis. Or we'll just sit and worry because we don't know if it's going to happen, so we just worry about it. And it begins to strangle our life and our ability to move forward. Jesus taught us to think ahead. So I'm not saying that you don't think. I'm not saying that you don't take care of your business. Because that's what some people, well, okay, sirrah, sirrah. I mean, if God, you know, he's coming soon, so I'm not going to worry about anything. This is what Jesus said. He said, no man builds a tower <clears throat> without first sitting down and calculating the cost or that he gets half done and that he won't finish. No king goes forth to war without calculating what the odds are of winning. See, Jesus didn't say don't plan, don't prepare. He says, don't worry. He's not saying, don't buy life insurance. He's not saying, don't fasten your seatbelts when you drive. Don't save money for your future and potential retirement. Sometimes, loved ones, the best way to overcome anxiety is to simply take action. I get people, oh, I'm so worried about my grades. I'm so worried about my grades. Here's the question I ask them. Okay, I'll pray for you, but here's the deal. Are you studying? <laughs> you know? Well, pastor, pastor, would you pray for my marriage? Absolutely. Here's the question. Are you identifying things with your spouse that are problems, and are you willing to go get counseling if they're an issue? Are you willing to seek God if you need to in those areas? See, God doesn't circumvent or remove the ability for us to act. He just says, I don't want it to become things that you worry and that cause anxiety. Because that's how we live. What if, what if a plane crashes? Well, what if it does? <laughs> you know, I used to get a little nervous on a plane. I don't anymore. If I go down, I go down. I know that sounds really silly, but some people, I have no control over it. It's God and pilots. I get in a car. I don't worry. I can't control it. What if I get cancer? Oh, I don't know. I can't control it. I'm going to do everything I can not to. I'm going to try and eat right. I'm going to do what I need to do. What if there's a terrorist attack? 
What if there is? That's not good. I don't want it, but I can't control it. What if my children, what if one of them gets a divorce? I, I can't control it. All I can do is what? Don't worry. I can pray for them and believe for them. Jesus says, don't worry. Uh, here's some anxiety issues. First of all, we get it because of a wrong focus. We get anxiety and worries and all those things because of a wrong focus. We begin to focus on the world. Uh, Jesus said it this way. That's what the Gentiles seek after. If you're worried about finances, instead of laying up for treasures on yourself, which he says a few verses earlier, if you're worried about the food you're going to eat, if you're worried about your clothing, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to become worrisome. If you're so worried about your body and, and, and its physical upkeep, hear me, I believe in that. I may not look it, but I believe you need to do that. Take care of it. But it can't be just your total focus because he says that's what people outside the kingdom do. They get so focused on this world that the Gentiles seek after these things because they have no eternal concerns. It's all about the temporal. Can I just tell you something? In 50 or 60 years, it's not going to matter if you were 10 or 20 pounds overweight. 40 or 50 maybe because you may not see that long, but that's a whole other thing. It doesn't matter if you're the most popular in school, the most popular person at work. Here's what Jesus is saying. We want the kingdom to be your focus. But here's what the end, when you come to the end, did you love people? Did you love God? Were you kind? Were you gracious? Were you loving? That's why Jesus, that's why, excuse me, Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, he says, set your affection on the things that are above, not on earthly things. Because if you're focused on where Jesus is, that's going to work out in your life. That's going to work out in your heart, and that's who you're going to become. You're going to become like Jesus. But if you're focused on all these things down here, you're going to have a tough life because you're always going to be looking to save and take care of and to watch over. Uh, next thing is it's futile. Anxiety issues, they, they're simple. It's, it's futility. It's an exercise in futility to worship, to, to, to worry about them. Jesus said in verse 27, who of you by worrying can add one hour to his life? I love that. That's funny. <laughs> can you imagine how old some of us would be if we could add time because of our worries? Some of you would be Methuselah, you know, and 969 years later, but he says, you can't do that. He's using hyperbole. Jesus has a great sense of humor. We miss it. All of your worrying, loved ones, isn't going to stop a terrorist attack. All of your worrying isn't going to protect the precious things around you that you think are worth protecting. Worry is ultimately a waste of time. It takes thought and energy away from you. I love what somebody said. Worry is enjoying a crisis before it arrives. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And I think, it's like, I think it's like those things that we really, really worry about, only 8% of them come to pass. So it becomes a habit. It also it diminishes our faith in God's promises. Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. You're no different than those who are outside the kingdom. See, God promises and he says, listen, Trust me, all things work together for good for those who are called according to my purposes and love me. And that's God's word. Worry says, ah, ah, I don't see it working together. God's word promises, I'm going to supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Worry says, I'm not so sure. Really? I'm not sure I'm seeing that. God's word says no temptation has overtaken you, but this is as common to man. And he will provide an escape for everything that you face that would want to tempt and, and take you down into the undertow of something. That's what God says. But when we face things, we go, oh, man, this is too big. I don't know if God's word's really good. I don't trust him. Jesus invites us in this passage. Would you seek me? Would you trust me with your life and your stuff? Here's his Rx for anxious hearts. What does he say about it? 
he, he, he says don't worry. But that's kind of simplistic, isn't it? But he doesn't stop there. He gives us a couple of principles I want to share. He suggests some attitudinal things. I wish that there was some kind of magic formula, some silver bullet, so when you walk out of here today, you wouldn't be an anxious or a worrisome per person. That doesn't happen, though. Because I think everything else in the spiritual life, once we come to Jesus and we experience his salvation, what he has done for us, then we have to engage in the process of moving forward and grow. And it's the same thing with worry and anxiety. We have to begin to change our mind and our mindset. And we have to begin to do the spiritual things that he says. And the first thing is to refocus on the evidence of God's presence and his providence. Jesus said, consider the birds of the air. Birds are interesting. Especially when it comes to food. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh boy, they just eat like a little bird? That's kind of a misnomer. Uh, I read somewhere, you know a lot of birds, they eat two or three times their weight a day in food. Think about that. Some of you in here would be eating 200 pounds of food. Some of you, 300. Some of you, 400 pounds of food. I'll stop there. <laughs> That's a lot of food. But, but God, it, it says, God, the Father, provides for them. He, he takes care of them every day. You ever seen a bird at night pacing a limb? You know, it's got its, it's, got its wing up here. <laughs> oh, God, what's gonna, am I going to get to eat tomorrow? You know, you gave me some worms today, but I didn't see any extras. Have you ever seen a bird come swooping in to chase bank? You know, however they would talk. Hey, tapping on the window, I need a little loan here. No. You know why? Because they know God's taking care of them. The psalmist said it this way. I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. We have You, hear me, loved ones, you have great value before God. Reprioritize the spiritual. To overcome, this is what he says, reprioritize. Don't forget about the spiritual dimension of your life as a person in the kingdom because if you're in the kingdom, it's because you are related to the king, King Jesus. And never forget the spiritual life and element of that. He says this, seek ye first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You know what your priorities are? Your first priority is always your relationship with God. Second one is your partner, your mate. Third one is with your children. I challenge you, don't, don't reverse those. So a lot of marriages get in trouble. And the last one is you're a professional. Wherever you work, that's an important relationship because how you work and how you perform and what you do there speaks of God's life in you. But where people get into trouble is they begin to prioritize three and four over God. He says, what I want you to do, I want you to seek first God. Look to him first. Even though there's a lot of pressure sometimes not to go to church. But when you go to church, there should be something of the building of the life of God in you. And you still go and you still come and you still worship God. Even though there's a lot of financial stress, when you are growing and learning to give out of the first fruits of your resources, it begins to build security and strength and the fiber of who you are. Even though you're under a lot of stress and pressure and want to escape, you say, I'm going to turn to Jesus. I'm not going to self-medicate with this, that, or the other. I'm going to turn to God. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God. Which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, I'll supply, I'll take care of. I'll give you an incredible peace. Rather than worrying, what do we do, loved ones? We pray. God's peace fills our hearts and our minds. God's peace transcends all understanding and the things that we face. Have you ever wondered what I should pray about? 
You get up in the morning, oh, I pray. You know what? Here, here, here's, a, here's a good place. What worries you? What causes stress in your life? What's causing anxiety? Pray about those things. Let that become the catalytic converter to your prayer. And when you start there, you'll go, oh, wow, that's right. And then you begin to grow in your faith because you hear yourself praying about these things. And you ever notice, you really can't worry when you're praying. Let that become the springboard and the launching pad for your prayers. It's the first step in winning the, uh, in winning the worry war. A story in April 28, 2011, issue of Time Magazine. Uh, she was staying alone in her convent in Sister Margaret Geary. She was an 85-year-old Catholic nun. She got trapped inside a broken elevator for three nights and four days. She had her cell phone with her, but she didn't, um, she didn't have any signal. Fortunately, she carried in a jar of water with some celery sticks and a couple of cough drops into the elevator. Now, she's 85 years old. Trina and I got stuck in an elevator um, I don't know, about four or five years ago for about 15 minutes, and I went fetal. Uh, <laughs> no, not, not quite, but, but you, you, I don't know, but I'm claustrophobic. And I, you know, I was starting to sweat a little bit. And um, so this is, I, I, can, I couldn't even imagine three days and, or four nights, or three nights and four days. Well, so Sister Margaret, she said to herself, this can't happen. But then she says, you know what I can do here? I can either panic or I can pray. So what she decided to do was turn this elevator experience into her little personal prayer retreat. And she said, as soon as I made that decision, I felt like I received this gift from God and that God's presence became my strength and my joy. Really, is what she said. I felt God's presence almost immediately. See, here's our point, loved ones. When we face these things in our life, we can either panic or we can begin to pray. And some of these things that we're dealing with, they move us. They need to move us to a spiritual level and dimension. Um, let me give you one more. Uh, renew the practice of living in the moment, one day at a time. Did you know Tiger Woods is going to start golfing again? Did any of you care or know that he wasn't? <laughs> He's going to start golfing again at the end of the month. Here's the one thing I learned from Tiger Woods. Well, I learned some things not to do too. But here's some things. Here's, here's, here's one of the things that I really learned to do. He always would say this, Tiger, how'd you play today? I stayed in the moment. I hit one shot at a time. He said, you know, I, he didn't get ahead of himself. Or if he had a bad shot, he didn't worry about the past. He said, I'm going to live in the moment. One shot at a time. And that's what I want to challenge you to do, loved ones, is live in the day. Live in the moment. Practice that art of living one day at a time. John Wooden, basketball coach for UCLA, one of my distance mentors, so to speak, he said, make every day a masterpiece. Jesus said it this way, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have problems. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Don't you love that? I mean, it's so practical. He said, consider the birds. What happens to the birds? Birds, okay, they, they hang out, God takes care of them, then they have to go on a long trip to the south, and then they die, some of them or they get hit by a car. You ever seen that happen? Okay. Consider the lilies of the field. They're well-dressed. They get, grow up, they blossom, they get cut down, they get plucked up, and then they get burned up. That's what the Bible says. Yahoo. Well, here's the deal. Don't ever forget this. Let's be honest. For every person here, somewhere down the road, there's going to be some tough sledding. There's going to be some tough times. There's going to be some loss. There's going to be some heartache. People are going to die. People are going to get sick. People are going to get diseases. Each day, it's going to have enough trouble of its own. So you can worry about what's coming, you think, or you can say, I'm going to live this day and make it a masterpiece. See, the Lord's saying, don't worry about that because when you get there, I'm going to be there to supply your needs. I'm going to be there to take care of you. God has all the resources that you need, loved ones. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. That's why when the children of Israel were going through uh, the 40 years in the desert, God said, I'm going to provide manna for you one day at a time, except on the weekend, then I'll let you get a little extra goodies. Why? Because he wanted them to look to him every day 
to receive. I'll provide what you need. Put God first. Isaiah 26, 3 says this. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for he is trusting in you. Are are you trusting in him? Because when you do, loved ones, that's when your mind begins to experience peace. I got to stop there. I want to invite you at the stand, the worship team, can you come? I just want to sing this one song. It's Give Me Faith. And then I'm going to have to quickly pray for you. But I don't want to leave today without taking the opportunity to pray for people. Because as I said, there's not a week that goes by now that there isn't a Creekside or somebody in, our, in my relational orbit outside of this church that says, man, what's going on? I just, I just need some hope. And some of you today, there's no shame in that. The key is, is don't stay there. We want to pray for you. So why don't you join me? Let's sing this verse and we'll pray. I may be weak, your spirit strong in me. My flesh may fail, my God, you never. I need you to soften my heart, break me apart. I need you to open my eyes, to see that you're shaping my life. strength of God is able to come through. Why is that? Probably because that's when we go, uh, I need help. I can't do this. And so today, I just want to pray for you. We're not going to do this with our eyes closed. Per se. I'm going to invite, if you need prayer, would you just raise your hand? And, and please, don't, don't be shy. Don't be, oh, what's people going to think? I'm weak. Um, I'm weak. Man. I, I, I want people to know it because it's true. And if you need prayer, because you've got fears, you've got worries, you've got anxieties, this is the family of Creekside that can gather around you and say, let me just stand with you and pray with you. What I'm going to ask you to do is, Creeksiders, just get your hands up and so people can kind of gather around. Would you just, some of you, reach around and move toward these people that have their hands up so we can pray with them this morning? Just encourage them and be the church, the people that God can use to just lift up their arms or speak prayers over to encourage them. Anybody else that's not, any hands up I don't see? Okay. Good. 
Uh, Lord, we come today. There's strength in numbers. Oh, yeah, that's a warrior's thing, but it's so true. We're so much stronger together than we are separate. There's something about a life of humility that says, I need, I, I just need the Lord. But Lord, you always come. Uh, scripture is very clear. You said, Lord, that when we come humbly, that you raise us up and you strengthen us. And I pray that, Lord, for these people today that would simply be <clears throat> honest enough that have just an ounce more courage than fear to be able to say, I just, I need prayer today. We don't know what it is. It could be, it could be finances. It could be world happenings. It could be this or whatever. It doesn't matter. You know. We just simply come, Lord, as the body of Christ to stand with people, to encourage them and to lift them up and to raise them up. Lord, would you ease and erase and remove some of those anxieties and worries that have put a stranglehold on people's lives? Let them see, Lord, through faith. Their worry's not going to change anything, but our prayers will. Our fears won't change anything, but our faith will. Let us see, Lord, that we can't change anything with that except through prayer. I pray that today you would strengthen these people in Jesus' name. That as they leave today, as they walk out those doors, they see a beautiful day. They would say, this is what God has given me. He's going to provide for me. And so, Lord, give us great faith. Let it be said of Creeksiders, wow, what people of great faith. So we thank you for that, Lord. Let people's minds be put to rest because they trust in you. We pray, ask, and believe for that. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. 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 You sure love the Lord. Bless you. Have a great day.